the bottom line. Okay, today we, we uh, made the decision in this episode to just come to you direct. No guests today. Um, and we have phenomenal guests lined up, but I just felt like I wanted to do a, a shorter episode here to, or for however long it's going to go, to really dive into something that I, I want to speak directly from personal experience. And, and I think it's such a prevalent or prevalent issue in culture today. And look, the show's called The Bottom Line. So we're going to go down to finding the root issues and the root causes of these things. And so I wanted to extrapolate a little on fear. We've talked about fear before, and we'll we'll definitely continue to talk about fear as time goes on. But I wanted to dive into fear because I think there's so many cultural things that we see today, and it kind of just goes by us, and we don't address the issue of fear. And so I want to dive into some of the things that's happened recently in culture and just highlight how fear plays a role. And, and we may say, well, it's obvious, Yaku. That's kind of obvious. No, but not. It's all to self-identify. It's all to become self-aware. I think as a culture, we have lost self-awareness. I for sure know that we have lost situational awareness because that's something we train law enforcement. We train you know, people around the nation and the world when it comes to fighting sex trafficking, particularly situational awareness. What's normal and what's not normal? And for those of you who don't know, and for those who do, just bear with me for a minute here. But for those who don't know, well, what's situational awareness? First day, first week in in in, uh, in boot camp, first week in the academy, in the police academy, guys learn situational awareness. And they had a very particular training when I went through military training, a very particular training that they used on us, which we'll talk about in a minute. But situational awareness is simple things like you walk into a Starbucks. And if I ask you right now, what's normal in a Starbucks? What's normal? And I, I would say, okay, you walk into a Starbucks, there's a line of five people, they're standing all race, ethnicity, um, it's a mixed bag. Some people are waiting on the left of the drinks to come. There's some screaming going on, some some loud talking. Some guys are sitting, you know, uh, some people have masks on today, some not, they're on their cell phones. You go, that's a pretty normal environment. So that is normal. So when you walk into a Starbucks, nothing sends up a smoke signal or a flare for you to go, well, this is not, this is kind of strange. This is not normal. Well, Let's juxtapose that and say, okay, you walk into a Starbucks. There's one guy in a Starbucks. This would be an extreme. There's one guy in a Starbucks, and he's standing in a corner, and there's no one else. And there's one guy behind the counter, and it's eerie empty, and it's eerie quiet. Because even when you walk, you're the first customer in a Starbucks in the morning. And I'm picking Starbucks just because people can relate. There's still momentum and things going on. It's not quiet. You would walk in, and it would be obvious. You'd go, well, this is weird. That is situational awareness. Well, when it gets murky is the in-between. It's when there's a lot of normal and some abnormal, such as what happened at the Boston City Marathon bombing situation. And for those of you who are the Gen Zers, you, you don't know, many people after the fact came out and said, well, we saw the bag. We saw a, an object. We saw something. People even came out and said, we saw this guy in his apartment with these pipes on his table making pipe bombs. Those kind of situations. This is why whether we look at Rachel Joy Scott with the Columbine shooting, which my wife, Philippa, was one of the writers on the film, I'm Not Ashamed, when they did hours, countless hours of reading Rachel's diaries, reading Dylan's, you know, Dylan's accounts of how they operated. People saw something, but they didn't know what they saw. 
people always see something in sex trafficking. There's always the hindsight's 2020. We're like, yeah, it was kind of weird. I got this feeling in my stomach and I kind of blew by it. We blow by intuition and particularly women. You have a feeling, you know, something doesn't feel good. The hair stands up at the back of your neck. That's situational awareness. All right. And we are still talking about fear here, but I want to talk about situational awareness. When in a fear response, when you're stuck in a stress response or a fear response, your situational awareness goes down tremendously because you become more self-consumed. It's more about you. It's less about the environment or your environment, what's around you. You're not going to see the bag in the airport that's been sitting there for an hour and a half. And so many of these tests have been done. A family member of mine do this. They, you know, This is what they used to do, work at the TSA. They used to try and sneak things through TSA by design as law enforcement, to see, would the dogs pick it up? Would TSA pick it up? What can we get through? Can we get a four-inch blade through, a five-inch blade? Can we get, you know, plastic explosives, et cetera, et cetera? It's to test the system, to look and to train situational awareness. Well, the general public in America's situational awareness is very low, particularly if you are in a stable community, in a stable home with two parents at home. That child is disproportionately ill-equipped when it comes to situational awareness. The child that is raised in a more challenging environment, maybe the projects, the Bronx, Oak Cliff, Oakland, Dallas, you know, Central Chicago, pick pick your spot, the east side of Nashville, whatever, right? A a child that is raised in a a more challenging environment, which we would call, let's say, the projects, has a different level of situational awareness because they wake up in the morning or a child that lives in, in Kenya or Soweto, South Africa, they wake up in the morning and they have had family members killed. They have heard gunshots numerous times through the night. So there's a different kind of an awareness for that child. So indoctrinating or or disturbing the lifestyle of that child takes a different mechanism. When you're a child with two parents at home, your situational awareness is already low because you're trusting the environment. People don't lock their doors. You're trusting the, the community. Your trust is in your parents, and she become less and less and less observant. Sprinkle a little bit of fear into that equation. And it's like, it's like putting mufflers on your ears. It would be like taking a, shoulder, a soldier on the battlefield, and a shock grenade goes off next to him. For the next 5, 10 minutes to hours, he can't function. He can't function. He's disoriented. He can't hear properly. His vision. So all his energy and his attention and his emotive and cognitive ability goes towards preserving, self-preservation, self-preservation, handling the moment. And the rest of the world, it's like a racehorse with blinders on. The rest of the world you go blind to. So now let's throw in, for those who believe what I believe and who don't, and those who don't, let's humor me for a minute. Throw in the spiritual component. God gives us the ability to spiritually sense things, to feel things. Some people are, 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 are more intuitive. Some people are, are more empathetic. They feel other people's pain. My wife, for instance, Philippa can walk into a room and feel people's pain. Uh, Dan on our team can feel people's pain, can walk away and go, that group struggled with this, and he would be spot on without conversation. These are typically not your type A people. They're not your outgoing people. It's typically your, your, your contemplators, the people that you know feel, right? And not just feelings, what we talk in a political world, but really they, they sense and they feel. When fear enters the room, 
trauma, but fear enters the room, enters you. Your ability to be situationally aware goes away. It diminishes radically. It's like the shock grenade. You go into self-preservation mode. Your spiritual gifts get turned off. It completely gets turned off. You know, for me, maybe to be to be an orator, to be a speaker, to to connect with people, to read the room, to read people, that when fear comes in, that gets turned off. We'll call it stage fright. Call it many different things, right? But your ability to function the way God intended you to function, your ability to function within your skill sets and your gifts gets diminished because your body's natural biorhythm and your biological makeup at a chemical level goes towards self-preservation. For the person that's got stage fright, it's like just make it through this minute, make anxiety attacks. People talk about going into an anxiety attack and they can't function. So in a meeting the other day, and a guy shared with me how for a decade, a person in his office would walk by his, his office, his boss, the owner of the company, and he would go in a full-on panic attack. Not because that person had ever been mean to him. or any, It was just some, some altered reality that he built in his mind where fear became the root. The bottom line of it was fear. And when fear became the root, dysfunction set in. Absolute dysfunction. Panic attacks, couldn't breathe, couldn't speak. His boss walks into his office and said, how are you today? You look like you're, you're struggling with something. And he has a full-on conversation in his mind with his boss, but no words are coming out of his mouth. And so maybe some of you have, have can relate to this, that either, you know, somewhere, somehow, fear is in your life. And if you don't know, the purpose of this episode is to say, can you identify fear? Can you see it in your own life? Can you have the self-awareness to recognize fear so that we can combat the fear, that we can get it out of your life so that you can become more situationally aware, so that your gifts are awakened, so that your senses and your skill set can come to the forefront, so that you can then read society, read culture, read the room, and impact the room according to your skill set, and that you can be strong. That's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to have you be free. People say, well, I'm going to be free from fear. The result from getting fear out of your life is other elements in your life, has they have room to come to the forefront because fear will close in. Fear builds walls. And sure, we may say, well, you're afraid of something, so it builds a wall to protect you, but it also pushes everything on the outside that's good out. So good can't get in. And normally what happens is you wall up, and now you become an, 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 a building that implodes. And that's not a judgment I'm filing. I'm just talking about the power of fear. We know very well, God says, I did not give you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Well, let's unpack for a second. No, there's a lot in there. Spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit. It's not an idea. It's not a thought. We're not talking about danger. We're going to draw the parallel between danger and fear here in a minute. Danger is real because it's measurable. You can measure danger. You know, you could argue and say, okay, a Formula One race car driver, um, pick, pick a young guy. You know, these guys are sometimes 17, 18 years old in a Formula One race car driving professionally, going 300, 320, 325 miles an hour to a concrete wall. Making a, making a 90-degree hairpin turn on 150 miles an hour. 
Is that dangerous? It's super dangerous. But within reason, within calculation, according to that guy's skill set, okay, right? Whether it's a Max Verstappen or a Daniel Ricciardo, you know, or, or whoever you like as a Formula One driver, within their skill set, their ability, it is a measured danger with a low risk for them. It's manageable. Now, for the average Joe, driving 321 miles an hour to a concrete wall, making a 90-degree turn, is death. But it's dangerous. So you recognize danger. You assess danger according to your ability to interact with danger, to encounter it head-on, to face danger like a fighter. It would be reckless for a guy off the street to climb into the boxing ring with any heavyweight prize fighter or an MMA fighter. It's, 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 it's so dangerous that your skill set can't face the danger and meet it head on and me- literally take the dragon by the horns and redirect the dragon and manage the dragon. So you measure it, you calculate it, you go, it's too much, I cannot engage in it because it will destroy you. That's danger. Fear has got nothing to do with that calculation. That is with us looking at the street and go, cars are coming, if I cross now... It's so dangerous that that you could die. So don't cross. Or it's dangerous to not pay attention to cross the street even if there's no car, but it's a measured danger. It's calculated. The risk is low. I can now go. It's still dangerous to cross the street when there's cars driving on the street. So it's measured. We confuse danger with fear every single day in our lives, and we justify fear. Here's the deal. Danger is not a spirit. Nowhere in scripture or nowhere in the world would anybody ever and have they ever referred to danger as a spirit. Fear is a spirit. So what does that mean? I mean, let's unpack that for a moment because that alone is like a, we can write a thesis on that. Like, what, what does that mean? Fear is a spirit. Well, for those of us who are of faith, no matter what your faith is, there's a spiritual realm. There's a physical realm and a spiritual realm. We fight spiritual battles. You understand For those of you who deal with depression and suicidal thoughts, it's spiritual. It's internal. It is a war zone without it ever even being physical, but it's more painful. It's more real. So, okay, there's a spiritual realm. So, okay, if fear is a spirit, then then what are we saying? We're saying that, okay, you have to encounter the spirit. And so in order for you to bring fear into your life, you are allowing a spirit to attach itself to you, get hooks in you, to oppress you, to sit upon you, to wrap itself around you, and do what? Suffocate. Suffocate all the other abilities you have as a human being to contribute to society or keep yourself truly safe. Fear will not keep you safe. Measuring danger can keep you safe. But in order for you to appropriately and efficiently measure danger, you have to be at your full senses and at your full capacity. This is a quarterback that is completely in the zone, out of time, in the moment, so much so that he can read the field in a split second, assess danger without fear. Because for a split second, if his mind shifts to I'm going to get lit up from my backside by that linebacker that's coming to rush me and tackle me. He will miss the opportunity to assess the danger what's in front of him and make the right decision in the right moment in a split second 
and he will either make a major mistake, throw an interception, or get his helmet knocked off. That's what fear does. Fear slows you down. Fear is is someone running and while running us dropping a 150-pound lead weight vest on him. It sinks you to the bottom. And how fast you sink is, is based on experience and circumstance, but it absolutely takes your ability to be cognitively awake and aware and make healthy decisions. It strips you from that ability. It closes the walls in. It robs you from your spiritual intunement, being in tune spiritually, discernment, intuition, because it survives, survives, survives the moment. So the picture of a quarterback being rushed is a beautiful picture. If fear comes in for a second, I call it the squirrel theory. I talk to my family about it being the squirrel theory often. The squirrel runs into the middle of the road, left, right, left, right, can't make a decision, is afraid, and gets run over and gets killed. Indecision is decision. Indecision is a decision. Not making a decision is a decision. You get stuck. You're in quicksand. You're moving nowhere. It's not good. It's not bad. It's terrible. It's the worst. You have to move. But you can't move when fear comes in because it's suffocating. It strips you. Now, what what happens when you hold on to a fear and time goes by? Now it's compounding. It earns interest. It's like making a a deposit in in your bank, hopefully. You make some interest or in, in, in a stock that's rising. And I guarantee you, this stock doesn't go down. It goes up. It builds interest. So what if it's a fear of a parent, a fear of a father, a fear of an employee or an employer, a fear of a peer? It builds a fear of a spouse, a fear of a hurt that you've had in the past. Now all of a sudden you're not free to engage in a new relationship because the fear that you hold on to that has wrapped itself around you, that has its tentacles in you, is stripping you from the ability to meet a new person and let that person's full capacity be revealed to you and let your full capacity be there in the engagement of that relationship to read the person, to experience the person, to feel and being intuitive and use your skill set because you're fully in the moment. You're fully awake. Not woke, by the way. You're fully awake. You're fully there, present. Without fear, suffocating you, putting blinders on you, creating blind spots, building walls, pushing people out, keeping bad in. And so now all of a sudden your relationships can't flourish because you're holding on to someone who hurt you in the past and now there's a fear of that person or someone else hurting you like that in the future. Now, of course... As you know, we fight sex trafficking. You sprinkle sex into that equation and you've got a magic poison potion. Because sex, if there's sexual abuse, it's trauma, it's fear, and now it's layered. And it's just, I mean, it is it is not just hooks. It is a demonic force, which is a spirit, which is called fear, which is a strong man, it's a stronghold, that you have to come into agreement with. See, you must come into agreement with spiritual things. Spiritual things, you don't just walk in and pick them up. And you don't just get rid of them. It's not flippant. You don't, you don't get to go to Central Africa and go in, engage in witchcraft and it not affect you. 
and walk out the next day and go, well, that did nothing to me. Well, I'm the same today. You don't get to dip your foot in that pot. You don't get to taste that Kool-Aid and not be changed. The same with the Word of God, the Bible. You don't get to just flippantly, you know, stroll through spiritual matters, whatever it is, right? You don't just flippantly stroll into someone's life and have a sexual encounter or an engagement. And you can convince yourself that you can leave the next morning with a note saying it was fun. No strings attached. No, all strings are always attached. A friend of mine has a podcast. Shout out to Angela Blair. All strings attached. Sex, all strings attached. Um, The strings are always attached. And sex is dangerous. But see, fear becomes a blanket. And it consumes. And it builds interest. and And it finds corners of your heart that you hadn't given to it yet. And it takes it. And it builds on it. And have you ever, I mean, surely you relate. You know, when you, when you stub a toe, you bust a toe, you really do a good job. I mean, you walk in full on, you bust a toe, nail goes black, falls off, or you just crack a toe. How often you stub that toe in the, in the subsequent, in the following weeks or a thumb. You're like, golly, I mean, I haven't hit my thumb in months and now I'm just keep hitting my thumb because I just injured it. You know, fear works the same way. When you're holding on to fear because someone hurt you, the fear that you think is going to protect you makes you more vulnerable and you get hurt again in a similar fashion. And now you justify the fear. See, I knew it. I knew that was going to happen. I knew that my business partner was going to betray me. I knew they were going to steal. If you really knew, then you shouldn't have engaged. If you really knew outside of fear, you would have been awake enough to have the discernment, the fortitude, be in the moment to calculate the danger of the engagement and not engage. But you engaged anyway, although you say, we do this, I knew this was going to happen, then why did you engage? Ask yourself that question. Why? How? Hindsight's twenty twenty. That's easy. But if you go, I, I knew it was going to happen. Have you done that? And be honest with yourself. Let's start with some self-awareness. Have you ever said, I knew that was going to happen? Okay, then why did it? We can blame the other person because they did it to me. I'm a victim. Done with, listen, you're a conqueror. You're a victor. Every single thing in your life that has happened to you happened for you to be stronger. You can be stronger. God will use all things to greater good if you so choose or be a victim. So if it happened and you said, I knew it was going to happen, why did you engage? You engaged because in that moment, fear was an absolute component of your life and you lost ability to read danger effectively. You, you missed stop signs. You missed red lights or yellow lights or cautions. You missed advice from friends. You missed your own voice inside, intuition. You missed the spiritual guidance from God, the affirmation you got from the word from God or counsel. You missed something. You missed a sign and a signal. Because hindsight, you now self-identify and go, I knew it. Yeah, you did. You did. But you had fear attached to the situation, and therefore you were blinded to a severe enough degree for you to engage anyway. Now, it's not all things lost. It's all things gained. You learn from it. But let's learn from it. You cannot ever in life manage fear. It is unmanageable. It is a spirit 
that you have to come into agreement with. God says the opposite spirit I gave you is a spirit of power, love, power, power. Why? Why a spirit of power? To overcome, to walk through, to be above, to stand up, dust yourself off and keep walking again, to look up to the hills, to know where your power comes from. He gave you a spirit of power to conquer. He gave you a spirit of power to say you can, no matter what happened to you. Let it happen through you. Let it change you so you can go change others for the better. A spirit of power. A spirit of love. Why? Without love, you have nothing. Faith, hope, love. The greatest of this is love. Love. Anything we do without love is for naught, for nothing. And then I'll go further and say, can we get to what's called agape love, unconditional love, to where you can actually love your enemy? Don't have to agree. Don't have to engage. Don't have to befriend, but love. Because that kind of love sets who free? You. It puts you back into a position where you're not in a fear response. You're not in a stress response. You don't operate from a place or a position of fear, which means it turns all the other senses and abilities on so that you can face danger, so that you can look at an enemy, calculate danger, don't engage here, engage here, this is safe to engage, I can conquer here, get this set of skills, so that I can overcome this danger, face my danger. People say face your fear. No, you can't face your fear. Your fear is a spirit. You get rid of it. You cannot manage fear. It's impossible. It's a spirit. It's a strong man in the spiritual realm. Okay. Lastly, not for the episode, but what God gives you is a spirit of what? Sound mind. It's so fascinating that he talks about, I did not give you a spirit of fear, but I gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Well, wait a minute. If, if he did not give me a spirit of fear, and he's contradicting that spirit with a spirit of sound mind, then it must mean fear takes away sound mind. It must mean fear, when I engage with fear, it creates an inability for me to be of sound mind. It creates an inability for me to operate from a place of love. It, it, it creates an inability for me to operate, if fear is present, from a place of power. True power. Raw, unadulterated power to overcome adversity. Not oppress and suppress other people with power. So fear is a spirit. God says, I didn't give that to you. Okay, so if you didn't give it to me, but you gave me my gifts. You gave me my gifts as an artist. You gave me my, for some, and as an athlete, as a singer, as an accountant. You gave me my gift. Okay, you didn't give me a, sp- a spirit of fear. So why do I have fear? Because you went and picked it up. We go and pick it up. We drive to the fear store and we say, 10 pounds of fear, please. And we pack it on. Hey, can I get some uh, relationship fear, please? And we pack it on. Because it's not given to us. And, and people will say, well, no, no, Yaku, come on. If someone abuses you, someone steals from you, they're the ones superimposing fear upon you. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. They did you wrong. They manipulated you. 
They defrauded you. They forced you. They coerced you. They lied to you. They stabbed you in the back. They physically hurt you. They physically harmed you. They stole from you. But you had to pick fear up. They did not give you fear. Fear comes from the enemy. Fear comes from Satan himself in its purest form. And he's looking for an opportunity where life and people do things to you, where life happens to you naturally. And he comes in that moment and he presents fear as an option, as a counterfeit versus power, love, sound mind. He presents fear and he sugarcoats it with a whole bunch of candy and he twists truth like he's done for the ages in Genesis 1. And he presents fear to you as an option to preserve, to protect yourself so this doesn't happen again. He presents fear to you as if it gives you eyes to see danger. He gives fear to you as if it's danger and you can measure it and calculate it. He tells you that you can manage it. He tells you that it's a protection mechanism. He tells you that the wall that it built is to protect you from hurting. He does not tell you it takes all the cancer and the danger and the darkness in the pit and it keeps it inside. And it hides in the darkness and it consumes you. And he does not tell you that it builds interest. But he presents it in that moment. See, it's not the person that abuses you that also presents fear. And you may say, well, Yaku, the bully bullied me and, and, and he made me afraid. Uh, just to be real with you, he bullied you and he treated you illy. Satan, in that moment, presents fear to you as an option, as an out, as a solution. And it is never a solution. You and I, we pick it up. We take the option. It is far easier to say, no, the bully did it. Okay, believe that. You believe that. Run with that. Run with it that the person that stole from you is the one that instilled fear in you. Well, Yaku, what about physical abuse? What if it's a dad that instilled fear in a child by beating him? The dad beat the child because the dad maybe was sick. And we can have that conversation because he has his own fears and he wants to exert power. Still in the moment of the action, Satan, evil itself, presents fear as an option. We have to come in agreement with it. Because all things spiritual, you have to come into agreement with it. You have to pick it up. No one can force Buddhism on you. No one can force Christianity on you. No one can force... I mean, externally they can take you to church every Sunday. Many of you listening, you know how that goes. It drives you away from it. Someone trying to press Christianity onto you, like it's a cloak you can put on, force you to recite certain things, certain prayers, bringing you the religious spirit, which is also a spirit that you have to come in agreement with, does that con con convert you internally? No, it doesn't. You know that. You have to pick it up. Fear is a spirit. It makes us blind. It shuts us down. It robs us from situational awareness. So I could go into anything in life. I could take the situation with Antonio Brown 
taking his jersey off on the sideline, throwing it down, making a scene, and running into the locker room. And the second he did that, everybody went abuzz. Oh, Antonio has mental issues, mental disorders. Sure, those are symptoms. They're symptoms. Whatever the world sees of you is how the symptoms reveal itself. Right? Your body breaks out in hives because something else happened. You get a fever because the body is telling you, hey, I'm going to raise my core temperature because I'm trying to kill a virus. It's not the virus. The fever is not the virus. Antonio Brown taking his jersey off in the middle of the game, running off, is not that he just was offended because they told him to go play on a broken or on a hurt ankle. It's rooted in fear. And his fear is not being seen. His fear is not having value. His fear is not being appreciated. His fear is being ostracized, so he ostracizes himself. He puts himself on an island, but it's his greatest fear. His fear is being lonely. His fear is not having community. His fear is not being seen. So he does exactly what he hates. And fear closes him off from the world, builds the walls, changes his ability. Because now hindsight, he goes, you know what? I shouldn't have taken my jersey off. So then why, why did you? Because in the moment, you operated from a place of fear and you lost situational awareness. You lost the ability for all your senses, your cognitive ability, your emotional, your EQ, your emotional, you know, you know we say IQ, your EQ, your emotional level of competency was shut down and you made a bad decision. You operated from a place of fear. And what did you do ultimately? You put yourself on an island doing the very thing that you are accusing them of doing, not appreciating you, and you put yourself on the island. You ostracize yourself. That's what fear does. It's ultimately going to drive you to a place where you're alone. You're alone in the issue. You can't communicate it. Talk to people who have tried to commit suicide. Talk to them about depression. Depression is a symptom. Alcoholism is a symptom. Let's, let's not talk symptoms on this show. Let's talk bottom line. Let's get down to the root issue. Am I saying that all things start with fear? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to dig really, really deep to not find fear in most of what's going on in your life. That's not in order. So my, my call out and my cry to you is, you must, I must, we must be self-aware enough to identify where fear is in your life. Then comes the challenge to go, well, okay, let's just for a second say Yaku is remotely correct. I'm just referencing the Word of God. He did not give you that spirit. You have to pick it up. And let's say that's correct. Then you have to go dig and find out, well, where in the world did I pick up fear for, fill in the blank. Fear for speaking in front of people. Fear for heights. Fear for, for you know, whatever it is. Fear for your father. Fear for relationship. Fear for intimacy. Fear for commitment. And then people will justify and go, I'm just not wired this way. Nonsense. Nonsense. You have the ability to commit. You have the ability to be intimate and, and, and allow intimacy. 
You have the ability to trust. You have the ability to build deep-rooted relationships. You have the ability to give that kind of a friendship to someone else. You have the ability to be a fully functioning human being because you were created with everything. So, okay, Yaku, why do some people suffer so much? One, they make an agreement with fear. And in this culture, we do not invest in people. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the most painful investment you can ever make in your life. Let's say the most painful two investments is your time, right? Because it's a treasure that you can't make more of and your emotional commitment to somebody. Because you run a risk. There is a danger of them abusing it, misusing it misguiding it, neglecting it, not being thankful, not being grateful. And so what do you do? You pick up a little bit of fear so you don't fully engage, so you don't get what? Hurt. And in the process, you lose a relationship. You lose a piece of yourself. You're not functioning in your true capacity. The people in your proximity, because life is about proximity, it's about influencing and affecting positively other people's lives. You're not doing it because you think you're playing it safe. And you're not playing it safe because you're not even reading danger because you can't because you've come into agreement with fear. But you've bought the lie that fear is an assessment of danger. And it's not. They're not even family. Fear and danger couldn't be further from one another. They're not connected. Fear stands all by itself. Danger is not a spirit. Risk is not a spirit. Those things you calculate. Fear, you come into agreement with and you say to it, gain access, I'm opening the door, come do a piece of this work for me. And we have the obscene notion to think that when you tell evil to come do a piece of the work for you that it could ever produce fruit. Or be positive. Let's break it down to the bottom line. Telling fear to come protect yourself. Fear to gain access and move your heart and your mind and your ability and turn things off in order to protect you is going to be healthy is insane. That evil will ever want good for you. I don't care what you believe. I don't care if you're an atheist. For you to, to, to not acknowledge that there's evil, you're not an atheist. You're insane. Evil is real. And to the atheist, I say, and I agree with Jordan Peterson, be careful before you kill God. Be very careful as an atheist when you just go kill God, like there's no God. Be very careful because society implodes. Everything implodes. Someone's saying, well, they're an antichrist. They believe in another faith. At least they acknowledge that there's higher power, higher being. But for the atheist, there's nothing. That's, that's, a, that's a very, very lonely place. And I would go as far as saying this. In order to be an atheist, truly, you must come into agreement with fear. Because you're afraid. You must be afraid of 
well, what if there is a higher power? What if I do have to submit to something? What if I am not ultimately fully in charge? What if I'm not my own God? What if the whole universe does not revolve around me? What if, what if, what if, what if? It's fear-driven, it's fear-based. And so my goal is for you as a listener, a viewer, to be rid of fear. And it is a mission. And Look, am I saying it's easy? No. It starts with the most difficult thing to do in life, and that is self-awareness, accountability, taking ownership of where you are today, where I am today. Well, you don't understand what that guy did to me in situation in life, and I wasn't born this way, and I, and I didn't have a hand up and a hand out, and I didn't have the family name or the pedigree. I didn't go to the right school. Man, just come on, bring more. Stack them on. Bring them. Bring the excuses because they're excuses. Do they ha- Are they valid? Sure, of course they're valid. We're not arguing whether they're valid. It's just not the deciding factor. I'm going to strip it from its title that it can decide what my life is going to be. Pain is not going to define who I am. Circumstance is not. I'm stripping it of the right and the authority to attach fear to itself and tell me that it's going to define my future or your future or the decision another human being makes to do something to me or say something about me. I'm going to strip that person from his or her right an ability to have enough power to influence and affect my mental capacity, my psyche, my emotional capacity, my ability to stare fear in the face and say, get behind me, Satan. I'm stripping them and all those situations of that power, or you give it that power and it will rule you and consume you. And you will be a victim. And you'll be the guy that say, oh, can I just keep talking about the touchdown I threw when I was in eighth grade? And you're stuck. Can I talk about when they stole it from me? Can I talk about when the coach didn't pick me? Can I talk about what my wife did? What my son did? What they didn't do? They're ungrateful. Where I came from? Where I was born? And it becomes an excuse, which is a weight around your neck that will suck you like a vortex to the bottom of the ocean. And your best friend on the way down is fear. And that sucker never pulls you up. It only pulls you down. So this is the hour and the moment in this nation when we need to say there are things we're afraid of. And we need to accurately separate fear from danger. Please assess danger. Please learn about danger. Please get training about danger. This is why we learn how to drive. We learn how to fly. You don't just get in an airplane and say, I'm a pilot today because I read a book. That risk assessment in the dangerous situation flying is, is too much for you to handle. Or you go to pilot school, you become efficient and proficient. It is still dangerous to fly. You still need to pay attention, but you fly the plane safely and you put people on it and you're responsible. Fear is nowhere in that conversation. Only the assessment of danger. So please assess danger. Please become really good at it. Get help. But please become self-aware enough and take accountability. Get out of a victim mindset and tackle fear. 
It's a spirit. So, Yaku, how do I get rid of fear if it's a spirit? If I picked it up, I don't even know how I picked it up. It came to you as a voice. People say, well, Yaku, God doesn't speak to me. No, you don't listen. He speaks. He spoke through a donkey. Had a hand written on a wall. Spoke through a fiery bush. He says, the rocks will cry out my name if the people won't. And oh, so you will see. God does speak to you through nature, through intuition, through counsel, advice, time, signs, signals. It's personal. Fear also speaks to you. It calls you. It beckons you. It's that voice that comes from the darkness that tells you that it's light. It summons you. You know it. You have felt it. It creeps up on you. It comes slowly. It's also a still voice. It doesn't just jump on you. It coerces you. It's like freaking Smeagol in Lord of the Rings. It's cunning. It lies to you. It comes close. It beckons you. It calls you. And At some point you say, okay, I'm coming. I'm coming. Walking into the cave. Walking into the abyss. But you convince yourself it's light. It's not. Fear talks to you. Learn to identify how fear, the spirit, is presented to you by evil. And do not listen to it. Identify it. Mark it. So that you can say, that's fear talking to me. I will depart from it. Get behind me, Satan. I will not engage with it. That is not an option. That is not the truth. Think about what we just walked through as a culture globally through 2020, 2021. What was the most powerful component in the conversation? Fear. You want to know how powerful fear is? It shut the world down. The world. It created a suicide spike that you can't measure. It created 1,600% increase in child sex trafficking. Shredded families, broke economies. This thing is not a game. It comes to steal, kill, and destroy because that's who its master is. This is the day you start asking yourself how fear talks to you. You highlight it. You learn that voice. You never forget what that sounds like. And when it comes, you send it into hell itself. You send it into the abyss. You tell fear to go to hell. Literally. Go to hell. Not as a cuss word, but the place. Hell. And if you don't believe in hell, it's real. Send fear back to where it came from. And you rise. And you conquer. And you become a survivor of whatever is done to you. And you assess danger. And you become situationally aware. And you are free as a human being to go impact culture and change lives and deposit into lives because you're there, you're in the moment, you're aware. And you become better and better and better at it. Sharper and sharper and sharper, like a radio dial. So I know it's a heavy conversation. It's about accountability. Let's dive into this. Go write it down. Sit with your family. Root fear out of your life. It's a spirit. Operate from power, love, and a sound mind. And it may not hurt for you to dive into Scripture and go research that very Scripture. Go mine it. 
sit with it, contemplate through it. You're going to learn a lot, like I'm learning a lot. We have a great guest coming next time. I want to thank Patriot Mobile. Guys, thank you so much. Please check out Patriot Mobile, the only Christian conservative cell phone network. They use all the major towers to give you great service. They put their money where their mouth is. They fight sex trafficking with us. They go to the border. They support. They literally step into community and culture, and they affect change in culture because they actually care. Check out Patriot Mobile. Go to 972-PATRIOT. Call 972-PATRIOT. And when you talk to them, just mention the bottom line so that you can get free activation. Check out the guys and gals at Patriot Mobile. Thank you so much, Patriot Mobile, for supporting us, bringing messages like this to the people. You do not have a spirit of fear. You are giving a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. God bless you.